My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Today I'm excited to launch into a new teaching series here on Sunday mornings where it's called Unlikely Heroes. And, and in this series, what we want to do is we want to remind everyone of an important truth. And that is that there are no insignificant people in God's story. You know, sometimes we get the idea that certain people matter more than others. Certain people are far more capable than others. I mean, I think that's why we, we love superheroes, which is kind of the theme behind what we have going on here. We have superhero movies all the time, and, and, and we look at those, and maybe those are more important people. That Surely those kind of people matter more than I do. And in the church, we also can get into this, you know, the idea that somebody who's in the spotlight is somehow more important, and maybe you think that because I'm a pastor or because I'm up on stage teaching that somehow I'm more important, and I can tell you, any, any, the idea that some are more important than others is a myth. I mean, one read through the Bible, and you get it clear that this is not, simply not true. I mean, yes, Jesus is absolutely central in the Bible. All through the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything in the New Testament looks back at Jesus. You have the four gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are about Jesus. Yes, Jesus is central. And yes, there are larger-than-life characters in the Bible. You got Moses, you got David, you got the Apostle Paul. But in addition to that, you have name after name and story after story of seemingly insignificant people who played a vital role in the story that God was telling. They mattered in the same way you matter. And so in this, in this series, what we want to do is we're going to, we're going to take a look at some of those minor char- seemingly minor characters in the Bible and as a way of reminding ourselves that there are no insignificant people in the story of God and that you don't have to be famous to play your part. So before I get into the character I'm going to look at this week, I want to start by having you ask yourself a question. And that question is, why are you participating today? Why why are you tuned in this morning? No matter where you are, you've chosen to set aside this time and you're participating in some way today. So why is that? I imagine if I could ask and I would find out that there are as many reasons as there are people tuned in. But I also, I also imagine that if I was able to poll everybody, I think we'd find some common themes. I think for some of you, you're participating because it's a habit, right? That's what you do on Sunday mornings. It's part of your, of your history. It's part of your culture. It's part of your family. That's just what you do. And 
This used to be the main reason for most people, especially in the United States, and it still is in some parts of the country, but not for many, including, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. So maybe for you, you're, you're tuned in because you want to make God happy so that he will in turn make your life turn out the way you want it to. It's kind of that transactional thing. You do your part, he does his part. Maybe you're here for someone else. Maybe your mom or dad are making you sit there. Maybe your husband and wife or wife wants you to, or boyfriend or girlfriend. They're the ones that want you here. Left to yourself, you wouldn't be here, but, but you want to make them happy. So hence you're here. Maybe you're here because you're hurting. This is, this is for a lot of people. It's, it's a natural thing to reach out for God when life hurts. And can we just be honest? And during this season especially, life is hurting for a lot of people right now. Maybe if you, you, you're looking for answers. You know, for whatever reason, you, some things maybe are off in your life or you just want your life to be better and, and so you tuned in because maybe you want a happier marriage or you want your, a successful work life or you want your kids just to behave, please. But you're here looking for answers. Now, again, I think for a lot of people would fall under one of these and these are really good reasons. But may I be as bold to say that none of these are the best reason. If you want to know why I'm here, if you want to know why everybody that was on the stage leading the singing and worship were here, the tech team who's here making all this possible, the, the folks that are right now on Facebook there to host you and to encourage you in any way, you know why we're here? Because like we just sang about, because we believe Jesus is better. We believe Jesus is better. I just, as I just shared, we exist as a church to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we do that because we believe that Jesus is better. Better than what? Well, better than everything. Uh, I just want to put the lyrics from that last song right up there. It was a new song for many of you, but, but just look at this, how it sums it up. In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. In all my victories, Jesus is better. Than any comfort, that's the biggie, right? Jesus is better. More than all riches, Jesus is better. Now, if you're the type of person that's tuned in this morning and you like formulas, let's just put this in the form of a formula for you. Jesus plus you fill in the blank has the same value as Jesus by himself. Nothing in this world can add any value to Jesus. Jesus is better. The question is, do you believe it? Now, I would say even the most mature among us would say, well, not all the time. And that's why we pray, as the song said, and we sang about, make my heart believe, please, God. Help my unbelief, make my heart believe. So today's character is someone that that we want to look at because her life modeled this picture, this understanding that Jesus is better. It's another one of those characters you might just read right on past. It's a woman by the name of Mary. Not that Mary. Not the mother of Jesus. She's one of the famous ones, right? And not even Mary Magdalene. You know, a lot of people know about her. This is just Mary. That's all we know. We call her Mary of Bethany because that's where she lived. So I want to, in particular, I want to look at a story in Mark chapter 14. It's a story that takes place in the last week of Jesus' life before he died for your sins and mine. And we get a picture into this woman's life. And so I want us to read this. It's Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. It was now two days before Passover in the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. 
Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth. Whenever, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Now, as I read that, I, I hope you maybe caught on to a little detail there, or maybe you asking the question even as I read it. How, how do we know that's Mary? There, Mary's name was never mentioned in there. You just see this, this phrase, this woman. Well, it's because it's a story that's also captured by another one of John's, uh, another one of Jesus's friends by the name of John in the Gospel of John. He tells the same story from a little bit different angle. In John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, we see this. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus's honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume and made, the essence of, made of essence of nard. She, was anointed, she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. And so we had like two different eyewitnesses of what was going on here. And when we combine those two stories, what we can understand was that this was a, that Mary was the woman in Mark, in Mark chapter 14, and that the dinner party that was going on was actually in celebration of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That was a story we looked at here as a church about a month ago. So you have Mary and Martha and Lazarus were brothers and sisters. And so this is, this is a setting going on right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so the party, if we go back to Mark 14 version here, we see that the party was hosted by a man named Simon. Now, in the original language, this was, he was called Simon the leper. Okay, it's a little hidden here in the New Living Translation, who translated a man who had previously had leprosy, but he is actually called Simon the leper. Now, this is accurate because... We can know he wouldn't have had leprosy when he was doing this because if you had leprosy, you would have been quarantined outside the city and certainly you wouldn't be throwing dinner parties. And so, yes, he was, a, he, he was somebody who used to be a leper. But what we can know is that this was a celebratory dinner and Simon and his family are hosting it. We learned from John that Martha was serving up her best meal and that Lazarus was the life of the party. After all, he was the only one in the room that's been raised from the dead. And all were there to celebrate Jesus. So I want you to get into this and picture this. Sometimes we read through the Bible and it stays two-dimensional on a page. But we need to like enter into this. I want you to take the time to picture. This is a large gathering of people. It's a boisterous time. It's a celebratory time. You remember what those big parties are like, right? I know, so 2019. But picture the celebratory atmosphere. Maybe like you used to be a part of months ago. That's what's going on here. Can you just take a time and just picture yourself there. Imagine there's all sorts of conversations going on around the room. Imagine it. You know, maybe you had Peter, you know, he was close to Jesus, and maybe he's hanging out with Simon, the, the host, and he's saying something like, Oh, Simon, you're looking great. 
You look so much better than when you had leprosy and your skin was all falling off. Man, that was nasty, you know. Uh, you know, maybe you have like Thomas says to Lazarus, Laz, bro, slaps him on the back. It's so good that you're not dead anymore. And James jumps in and says, yeah, bummer, you got to go through that again, right? These were real people having a party. And Jesus was the center of it all. Everybody was enjoying him. And that is until Mary, the party crasher, arrives. And she does something that brings everything to a screeching halt. Kind of like when your drunk uncle arrives at the otherwise great Thanksgiving dinner and makes a fool of himself. That's kind of the feel in the room. And what does she do that's so unsettling? She takes what's called an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. Now, the essence of nard, we don't use that language very often. That was, that was a perfume that they used to cover the stench of death when they, were, when they were preparing somebody for burial. That was what was going on there. Now, Jesus had been clear many times that he was going to die so you'd think it might be nice for somebody to do that to him but we learn in verses four and five that others in the room didn't think so and and in fact we find out why they thought it was such a bad thing because the jar that she had was worth a year's wages yeah, put this into context. Here in the Washington County, the average wage is about $50,000. So this is like blowing 50K on a lavish display of affection. To, do, to drill down a little more, we can know from cultural research at the time that that, that that jar like that would have served the purpose of what today we would call an emergency fund or a nest egg. In other words, money you have set aside for security in case something unexpected happens. So now that she's blown it, her family would have been exposed. They would have lost their financial security. So in other words, Mary took her most valuable possession and she spent it on Jesus in an extravagant display of affection. With her actions, she was was saying, Jesus, this is my most beautiful possession. This possession was my hope, was my security. This is like when I was up at night worrying about the future, this is what I would look to for security. But Jesus, now you are my hope. You are my security. You are my most valuable possession because Jesus, you are better than all that I have. I just want us to pause there and reflect on that. What today is your most treasured possession? What is it that you cannot imagine living without? Maybe for you it is a bank account or or your job, your source of income. But I think we can widen it. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a particular skill or talent that you have that you just love so much or, or a hobby or something like that. Maybe it's a relationship or relationships that you can't imagine living without. Because here's the truth. Whatever is most important to you will be what you serve. In other words, whatever is most important to you will be your Lord. Jesus wants to be your Lord. In Matthew chapter 11, we see these words from Jesus. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is humble. Jesus is better. But make no mistake, Jesus is Lord and he is jealous for your affections. He will not share lordship. In Matthew chapter 6, he clearly says you cannot serve two masters. In Matthew chapter 7, he says if you call him Lord and then something else has, is centered at, as the center of your affections, you're fooling yourself. Jesus wants to be your Lord and he will not share lordship. He calls us to surrender all that we have. And when we walk through that door of surrender, it feels like we lose everything. And yet we gain so much more. Because Jesus is better than all that we have. Here in our story, everyone was scolding Mary. What are you doing? Don't you know what you could have done with all that money? All they saw was money wasted. All all Mary saw was Jesus exalted. And, And that's not where it ends either. Mary doesn't stop there. In John's version of the story, if you remember, he said she wiped his feet with her hair. Now, in Mary's time, a a woman didn't let her hair down in public. She saved that for the most private of places. And and she she would wear her hair up and her her head covered. And the Apostle Paul explained why. and, And he said that a woman's hair was her glory. In other words, Mary took the best part of her the most glorious, extravagant part of her. And she spent it, she gave it in worshiping and serving Jesus. She gave him the most beautiful and valuable part of who she was. Now, for many of you, I believe, if you're really honest, you would say, I don't have that much of a problem giving my stuff to Jesus, what I have. You know, you're, as a follower of Jesus, you tithe, which means you, you give a portion of your income to the church to, as a part of your worship. You, you give your stuff to those people in need. And I, and I know you do these things because even in the COVID season, we're, 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 we're doing well financially as a church. You've provided for the needs of everything we need to do. And I know you give your stuff away because we've seen it displayed over and over on behalf of those that are homeless and, and, and those that others that are in need. And, and you give your time. We've seen that over and over. And then during the season, we had Operation Love Your Neighbor where we saw many of you come just to serve the community. We know you do these things. But for some of you, You do all of that and still you hold back the essence of who you are, that the most most important parts of who you are. Maybe you still see this relationship as transactional, that you give your stuff, you give your money, you give your those things, your time, and then in exchange, God blesses you, or God makes your life mostly comfort, or or, or God uh, does kind of makes the life turn out the way you want it. It's a transactional relationship. And my friends, there's so much more to a relationship with Jesus than that. When the Bible talks about a relationship with Jesus, it's, it's, this, it's this extravagant thing. It's almost even to the point of being uncomfortable. You know, like when you're riding the max train and, and you see a couple with doing so much like PDA, it kind of makes you really uncomfortable. That's kind of what it's about. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians even compared it to a, to a sexual union between a man and his wife. 
That's what we see Mary doing here. That's the level of affection that she gave herself to Jesus with because she knew that Jesus was better, not only than all that she had, but also better than all that she was. And now you may wonder, how did she get there? How, how, how does a person get to the point where she was willing to interrupt a party, spend her most treasured possession, give the best part of herself to lavish on Jesus, all the while facing criticism, contempt, contempt scolding even, not from some random strangers, but from her best friends and family? How does a person get there? I think we get a clue into that in another story about Mary that we find. It's in the Gospel of Luke in in the chapter 10. And this is what we read about Mary there. And it says, as Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. So this is a little earlier in the story uh, of Jesus. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary, this is the same Mary, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. One thing. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. There's only one thing worth worried, being worried about. She was sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus had her full attention. Jesus was the object of her affection. You see, following Jesus, it's not about striving. It's not about achieving. It's not about trying harder. It's not about proving something. It's about sitting at Jesus' feet, receiving observing, pondering, discovering, obeying. And as with any relationship, this takes time and attention and curiosity and desire. Mary was an ordinary, insignificant person, a person who would have been lost in history except for this extravagant display of affection. I I love how Mark closed out the story. It's worth taking a look at one more time. At the, end of the, at the end of there in Mark 14, it says, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed, which is exactly what we're doing 2,000 years later. Here we are looking at and discussing her story. Mary was ordinary. Mary was insignificant. Yet she played an absolutely vital role in the story that God was telling and is telling. Because she believed Jesus was better than all that she had and all that she was. Now, even with these minor characters in the Bible, it's so easy. The fact that we read it in the Bible, we make more of who she was or more of what's going on. And she was an insignificant person, yes, but she served in a significant God, extraordinary God. And just like many people down through the ages, that's what defines us. We seemingly insignificant, and yet we serve an extravagant God. And 
It's all the way down to us as a church. And so I wanted to highlight a story here that was similar to Mary's story, but somebody that we might know. And, and so what I want to I take some time here. To show, I got a video to show you, and it's about a woman named Molly Clark. Molly was a part of, of Sunrise as a youth. She went off to school at Oregon State University to, to study marine animals and to be a dolphin trainer, and yet God got a hold of her, and she discovered that Jesus was better than all that she had and all that she was, and she devoted her life to Jesus. You may know her because she's a missionary from Sunrise. We support her financially through your generous contributions. So I want you to hear from Molly this morning. Hi, Sunrise Church. My name is Molly Clark. I am a campus missionary here at Oregon State University in Corvallis, Oregon. Um, I actually hail from Forest Grove, Oregon, and was a part of the Sunrise community as a high school student for a period of time before college. And I ended up down here at Oregon State as a student back in 2009, uh, longing to study marine biology and fisheries and wildlife to one day train dolphins. Uh, Little did I know, like he totally does, that God would reroute my story and lead me to come back to Oregon State as a campus missionary. Uh, As a senior here at Oregon State, I met spiritual family that completely changed my life and my world. After graduating from college, there was a tug on my heart to return to the university campus and to help lead students, people in my class, international students here at Oregon State, to know Jesus and to walk with him more fully. Um, I've been serving here at Oregon State for the last five years as a campus missionary, and just this last year stepped into the role of campus director, where I oversee a team of four full-time campus missionaries. Um, We focus on evangelism, uh, discipleship groups, with a real heart to see multi-generational disciples made who can lead their friends and greater community into following Jesus and making disciples who will impact the world. Many of you guys know my story, but for those of you who are new, Sunrise has been sending and partnering with me as a missionary to Oregon State for about the last five years. Not only have you guys financially sent me, but you've also stood with me in prayer as we've seen this campus radically transformed in the name of Jesus. Um, I'm sure that this season caught so many of you guys off guard. It was not the, it was not, no different here at a local university. Um, but one of the most special things that's happened is almost this new layer of access that we have as missionaries and Christians here on the campus to reach students that would have never stepped foot into a physical Bible study. Um, one of the highlights for me this year was actually hearing about one of our student leaders leading a small group with some of his uh, student athlete football teammates and having three of those guys give their lives to Jesus on a Zoom call when one of my Uh, campus missionaries who's a retired football player from Oregon State said that they would have never showed up in person to an in-person Bible study, yet these men heard and received the gospel of Jesus for the first time because they were discipled on a Zoom call. So nothing looks the same. Our game plan for next year is still a little fuzzy, but we are so excited and know that your guys' prayers and your partnership has made all of this happen here at the OSU campus. So from the bottom of my heart, to those of you that I know and to those of you that I hope to meet soon, thank you so, so much for sending me as a missionary for sending my team here to Oregon State. We are so thankful for you. Isn't that great? Molly, just like Mary, an ordinary, seemingly insignificant person who is playing a vital role in the story that God is telling on Oregon State campus and far beyond that because she believes that Jesus is better than all that she has and all that she is. Now before I close, I want to address a particular portion of our audience listening today, it's the men. (laughs) I know this may not apply to you, but uh, maybe you felt a little uncomfortable 
hearing about a woman having this intimate relationship with Jesus. Here I compared it to the sexual union between a man and a wife. And you're thinking, whoa, this is getting a little weird. And maybe the, maybe, you may be thinking that maybe the, maybe the guys, maybe the, the women understand that. But what about us dudes? And I mean, that may not apply to you, but I, I, I just got to imagine that some of it does. And so I just wanted to maybe highlight one more quick story that kind of brings everybody into this idea that Jesus is better. And it's a, it's a story, it kind of, it's found in, Mar- in John chapter 6. I invite you to look up there, but it's basically another season where Jesus is teaching, as he often did. But this particular time, it was a really difficult teaching. Uh, in fact, to the point where a lot of his followers left. And he turned to his closest followers and he said, are you going to leave too? And Peter, <laughs> callous hand, burly, fisherman, you know, man's man, Peter, looks at him and says, where else would we go? You have the words of life. And so I just want to say, guys, that Jesus is better for us too. Uh, Jesus is the best kind of be there through thick and thin kind of friend that we could have. Jesus has a dangerous mission that he's a part of, and he's calling us to be a part of it, to bring his kingdom values to bear on a lost and broken world. Jesus needs men, strong men, good men, that are willing to bring their strength and their, to bear on the, king, on the world around us in his name. Yes, Jesus is better for us too. So the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is better than all that you have and all that you are? And again, even, even the most mature among us would say, not all the time. And we pray, make my heart believe. And we just admit that, that our hearts wander so easily. We easily drift. And the reason that Jesus says repent, it's, it's called to repent, it means to turn and return. And we wander again and we turn and return and we return our focus to Jesus. So it's a constant repentance. As soon as we see our affections going somewhere else, we turn and return. The other thing is is to willfully, intentionally spend time like Mary did at Jesus' feet, learning from him, watching and observing him. And we do that by spending time in the Bible and prayer. And if you don't have a daily habit uh, to spending time in Bible, reading the Bible and praying, I invite you to do so this week. Take, take 15, 30 minutes a day. Get up, set your alarm a little earlier. You know, find a quiet place in the house and, and you know, grab a cup of coffee, whatever you need, and sit at the feet of Jesus. Read your Bible. If you don't know where to start, start with this Gospel of Mark. It's quick. It's action-centered. It's pointed on Jesus. Get to know him. Learn from him. Ask his spirit to help you to follow his ways. Because, my friends, I'll say it one more time. Jesus is better than all that you have and all that you are. Would you pray with me? Believing, Jesus, that you are better, that you are the most glorious, wonderful, extraordinary being in the universe right now. You are in the heavens. You're seated at the right hand of God. You, have, you are continually give yourself to us. Would we respond today? And I, I just have to pray for all who are listening right now. Would you take your next step toward Jesus? Maybe it's to connect with him for the first time, which is as simple as saying, Jesus, I need you. I, I, I have a lot of other things that I've given my affections to, but they're not good enough. They play out. I'm left lost and wanting. And so, Jesus, I want to give my heart to you. That's as simple as it is. And he responds. He promises spirit comes and lives inside of you. Maybe for you, your next step is to grow in relationship with him by spending time at his feet, reading the Bible, praying on a daily basis. Maybe for you, it's about serving. It's about maybe in this COVID season, you've, you've joined a lot of people who are locked in their homes and we kind of hunker down and, and become a little more self-focused. Maybe I need to remember to serve my neighbors, to serve those who are in need around me. Maybe for you, it's to lead another person in a growing relationship with Jesus. 
but would you be willing to take that next step toward Jesus? And so, Spirit of God, I pray for my family and friends here this morning that each one of us would be, would be in, so intrigued by you that we would take that step towards you, believing Jesus in your name. Amen.